with the story. Can you believe that for those of you who began back in January? If you have your story Bibles, go ahead and turn to page 389. If you have a standard Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Now, the disciples, the followers of Jesus have just witnessed perhaps the greatest thing. It's not perhaps, it is the greatest thing that has ever happened. You ever been at an event that you wanted to tell everybody about? You wanted to witness to that event? You were there? Now, you will not believe this. I, this, is, this is the truth. The last time the Browns went to the playoffs, I was there. I'm dead serious. You're like, are you 80? No, I'm not 80. They made the playoffs in 2001, and I was there on a cold December 27th. I was cuddling with men I'd never met before as the wind whipped off the lake. I saw William Green, who none of you remember, break off a 63-yard touchdown run, and we beat Michael Vick in the Atlanta Falcons to go into the playoffs. I was there. I witnessed it. I hugged and loved people in ways that I haven't hugged and loved any of you. <laughs> See, when we witness something that's almost unbelievable, <laughs> when we're part of something that is so monumental, we become participants in it when we witness to it. When we talk about that event, we begin to be participants in what took place. And what God is doing at the beginning of the book of Acts, which used to be called the Acts of the Apostles. Apostles means the sent ones, okay, in Greek. It's just apostolos. It's a Greek word. It means the sent ones. The act of Jesus' followers being sent out and witnessing to what they had seen, that's what's taking place here. They have witnessed the supernova that is Jesus and now they're going to participate in witnessing to the supernova that was Jesus. They're going to tell the story. And Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2 today, story page 389, is going to tell us how to become participants in that same story and what exactly we should focus on when we witness to it. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and following. On one occasion after his resurrection, Jesus was eating with them, and he gave them this command, Don't leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized, this is John the Baptist, he baptized with water. But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So then they gathered around him and they said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now let's stop there for just a minute. We can leave that up, James, if you're, if you're able to do that. For those of you who've been following along in the story to this point, this is a really important question, isn't it? This is sort of a pertinent question. Because the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Jewish people, the Israelite people, they had been made a promise by God. And that promise, in some ways, revolved around the land of Israel itself. And at that time, they had been conquered by the Romans, and they had no autonomy. So they're looking at Jesus, and Jesus has just done this incredible thing by rising from the dead. But, I mean, he'd spent three years doing incredible things as well. And they're going, is this the point at which you fulfill that promise, God? That, that we'll be autonomous again in the land of Israel, which, by the way, has happened here in the course of human history. Is this, gonna, is this the time? Because that's a promise you made. And Jesus is going to redirect them and say, you know what, that's, that's important, folks, but that's not as important as the next promise we're going to talk about. Look at verse 7. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but, here's the redirect, 
you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, the promise about the land of Israel was made in Genesis chapter 15, but Jesus is directing them to an earlier promise. And that promise is in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 4, where God says, through the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I am going to bless the world. I am going to do something to fix what is broken, to repair what is damaged, to lift up what has fallen down. I am going to do something through this people that I'm co-opting here in order to change the world forever. And Jesus is saying to his disciples right at this moment, this is the moment, fellas. This is the moment where the people of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, because all of you are, are Jewish, all of you are Israelites, you are going to go to the ends of the earth to tell people what God has done. Let's look at verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up from their very eyes, and a cloud hid, them from, hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently up at the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. I love the Bible. Sometimes they're just not like, and it was angels. They're like, two men dressed in white, just in case it wasn't an angel. Just who knows what that would have been. Anyhow, men of Galilee, they said, I, I'm assuming angel. Please don't send me emails about this. They said, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Now, this is interesting. Because we know that Jesus has just done something incredible. We're following along in the story. We know that Jesus came as a little baby. He came out of heaven. He came as a little baby. He lived as a human being in the way that we couldn't live ourselves. He died on a cross for the sins of humanity. He rose again in order to defeat death on behalf of all of us. But his work's not done. He's going to return. That was act one. Act two is when the reign of God, or as we say, the kingdom of God, comes completely, and at that day there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more death, no more sin. That's the day we're all looking forward to, when God brings his era, his reign, to full fruition. So we find ourselves in an interlude, don't we? That's a new beginnings up there this morning. We find ourselves in an in-between time. And the in-between time is going to be marked by some things, said Jesus. This in-between time first is going to be marked by the followers of Jesus Christ being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, we talk in church about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? The doxology, praise God from whom. You know this, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We talk about this all the time. That's the way God chooses to reveal himself to us. And I like to put it this way, and this might help you today as you try to get your mind wrapped around this idea that the Holy Spirit's now coming onto the earth. Think of Father God as the planner. Uh, Jesus as the one who accomplishes the plan, and the Holy Spirit is the one who directs the plan moving forward. In fact, Jesus himself was directed by the Holy Spirit. If you read the, the story, you saw that Jesus had the Holy Spirit come on him at the beginning of his ministry so that as we are to be directed by the Holy Spirit, he will be directed by the Holy Spirit. But interestingly enough, the Bible intimates something to us about the third person of the Trinity, about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can only be given because Jesus did something to give him. Jesus did something. Because if you read chapters, oh, I don't know, 1 through 22 of the story, if you're just in the Old Testament, you see the Holy Spirit will come on a certain person at a certain time for a certain activity, but not remain there, not remain with that person, not direct them forever, but to direct them for a specific task for a short time. There's this concept that God can't dwell with human beings for some reason. 
Well, let's just go ahead and let's, let's, let's get down to why that is. God can't dwell with human beings because sinful humanity cannot have God come and indwell them. That just doesn't make any sense. God can't come near that. In fact, when the temple was, was built, way back in the Old Testament, the presence of God on earth was in the most holy place of the temple, and theoretically, you couldn't go there without just falling dead. So th there's this whole concept that we as human beings cannot commune with God. As AJ said in our worship time today, we, we don't have access to God somehow. We, we can't commune with God the way we're supposed to. But when Jesus died on the cross, something happened. That Holy of Holies, the place where the Ark of the Covenant was, long before Indiana Jones found it, the Holy of Holies... He did not find the Ark of the Covenant. He is not a real person. Anyhow, that Holy of Holies, that place where the Ark of the Covenant is, the place where God says, that's, that's my presence on earth. There was a big curtain in front of it. When Jesus died, that curtain split in two. And God was signifying to the world, Jesus has died for the sins of the world. He has covered them up in such a way that my Holy Spirit can now be poured out. Jesus gives us access to be directed by God at all times, to have that personal relationship with God that we long for from the time that we're born. So the Holy Spirit's going to be poured out on you, he says, and you will be my witnesses. You're going to tell people the story of what I've done. That's what the interlude's about. People often ask me, what's God waiting for? If Jesus is coming again, what's God waiting for? He's running after people. He doesn't want any to be lost. The church is supposed to be telling people the story of Jesus right now. That's what the interlude is about. The Holy Spirit directs us to tell people about what Jesus has done and that the goodness of God is running after them and God wants a relationship with them and he wants them to spend eternity. He wants them to spend eternity with him. That's what Jesus is saying that first promise of blessing the nations is about and that's why the angels say, we're assuming they're angels, the angels say to them, Jesus is coming again. But he's just told you what to look for in the interlude. Let's see how this happens in real time. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, page 390 in the story. Now, we're going to mash up a bunch of verses here, and there's a reason we're going to do that. Number one, the story does it. Number two, when Peter gets to preaching in just a minute, there's a lot of prophecies about King David. And, and, and the story just pulls those out because we've heard the story of King David, and they're trying to get to the central message about Jesus. So that's what's going on here. You can go back in your standard Bible and read the whole message of Peter in just a minute. But let's go, or not just a minute, listen to my sermon. Read it when you get home. Uh, go ahead and listen in to Acts chapter 2, verse 1, and we'll see how this happens in real time. So when the day of Pentecost came, stop, Pentecost, one of the three major holidays of the Jewish people, there would have been tens of thousands of people from all over the, the Roman world, the Arab world, the African world, who would have descended upon Jerusalem for this great big festival, huge crown Jerusalem. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So let's stop right there for just a minute. So they're praying, they're waiting for this promise that Jesus says, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit, the new director of your lives. And they're praying and they're waiting, and all of a sudden, something very palpable, something very real, something made manifest takes place. And the writer goes, it was like tongues of fire. Like, what is that? Okay, we don't even know what it looked like. We're not quite sure, but, but the idea is that something happened, and, and when it happens, they begin to speak in other languages. 
and they spill out into the street, the story tells us, and they go out into the streets of Jerusalem, and the 120 followers of Jesus who were hanging out in that room begin to declare, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is raised from the dead, he has come so that we may have life, he loves you, he's coming after you, he's God's, he's God's love letter to you, Jesus is it, don't miss it, you know he was here, you know he was doing miracles, you know he was the greatest teacher you've ever heard, he has risen from the dead, he has defeated death, and you need to know him, except that they're speaking in languages they've never spoken in before. And so there's people who have traveled from all over the Roman world, the, the African world, the Arab world, folks who lived in North Africa or folks who lived in Gaul, present-day France, or, or, or folks who were hearing it in Latin or Greek or folks who were hearing it in Arabic going, hey, they speak my local language. That's pretty cool. I didn't know they were here. Wow. Like we have Northeast Ohio language. We say things like salad instead of salad. We have a dialect here that, that you cannot miss. Pittsburghians, you have a dialect. You say yins. What is yins? I don't know what yins is, but you say yins. I don't, and, and it's not George Washington. It's George Washington. So there's dialects. There's, there's, there's dialects that we all have, but in the ancient world, there were full languages that were going on, and the Bible says that they were going out, and they were speaking like in Pittsburghian to people. And they're going, how is this possible? Those people are from Galilee, and they're speaking in my language. Well, duh, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. God is getting his church started. He's getting the interlude started. He's coming after humanity. And what better way to come after humanity than with, 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 with many different languages represented? A reverse of the curse of the fall of, of Babel, right? The, 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 the many different languages, the language barrier is being overcome, and people are hearing about Jesus in their own language. And, and, and it's, it's, it's pandemonium as these people are preaching out in the streets. And some people are like, those people must be drunk because it's craziness what's going on right now. And Peter says, we're not drunk. Something huge has happened. Peter says, this is what the prophet Joel prophesied about 600 years ago, by the way, that the Holy Spirit is being outpoured on everybody because something huge has happened. And this is what Peter says has happened. Verse 22 in the story. We're probably down around page 391 in the story Bibles. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Fellow Israelites, he said, listen to this. So I, I'm assuming that this was in Aramaic, the language of everybody, perhaps in Greek. That was also the lingua franca. We're not sure. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. God did them among you through him, as you yourselves know. The man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are witnesses of it, says verse 32. Exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father what the promised Holy Spirit, and he's poured that out, and that's what you're seeing and hearing. Verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus both Lord and Messiah. Verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They said, Peter, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and this promise is for you and for your children and who, for all who are far off. Do you hear Genesis 12 in that? Do you hear I'm going to bless all the nations of the world for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call, even those in Stowe and Cuyahoga Falls and Akron, Ohio which had not yet even been heard of at this point. So what had they witnessed? What, what, was the, what was the lead story for Peter? 
And the lead story is Jesus raised from the dead. You know the guy who did all the miracles? You know the guy who you heard preach last time you were here at Passover? You, you know that one that everybody's talking about? The one, the one who, who, who is, is different than anybody who else, but you also heard he died. Well, you've heard the rumors that he lives again, and I'm here to tell you that he does. Like, he didn't just appear to us as a ghost. I mean, we ate with the guy. The fish didn't fall out of his stomach. That would have happened to a ghost. didn't happen to him. He's real, and he's, he's defeated death. Now, all the deep theology of the resurrection is not yet established. The Apostle Paul, who we'll talk about next week, had not yet written, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. He'd not yet written that. Peter doesn't explain every little bit of this idea of resurrection. But here's the thing. If someone's defeated death, you want to hitch your wagon to that guy. This is the point, right? He doesn't have to give all the deep theology. If Jesus is raised from the dead, you don't want to miss him. You want to hitch your wagon to what, whatever he's got. That's what's going on here. Because death, death is, 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 is the, the, the lowest common denominator or the greatest common denominator, the pain that we're all going to feel one day. It's our greatest enemy. Our greatest enemy is, is not the people who don't think like us or, 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 or some political party or, 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 or gout. Our greatest enemy is death. That's the, that's the common denominator. All of us face it, and Jesus has defeated it on behalf of us. We want to hitch our wagons to this guy. It's central to the Christian message. The cross is not the center of the Christian faith. I'm sorry, forgive me. It's not the center. It's the resurrection. The cross was the means by which the resurrection took place. It's the means by which death was defeated. Death was defeated three days later, but it's really hard to get an empty tomb on your stage, so we stick with the cross. I'm sorry, somebody's going to tell me that's sacrilegious later. I apologize. <laughs> Don't send me an email. If you want to build the empty tomb, show me a drawing. Anyhow, so the whole message hinges on this. Jesus has defeated death. He's defeated death. He's defeated death. What you've heard is true. We saw him. We touched him. We ate with him. He's alive again. And now the Holy Spirit's been outpoured, and you have a miracle today to prove it's true. That's what Peter's saying. Here's the miracle today. You heard us in your language, big crowd. No, I've not been to Gaul. No, I've not been to Carthage. No, I've not been to Babylon. But you heard me and us in your local dialect. That's a miracle to prove to you today that Jesus is who he says he is. And here's the cool thing. The Holy Spirit's for everybody now. Not just kings and priests and prophets and pastors and the holier than now people. Everybody. Everybody gets to be directed by God. Everybody can have a personal relationship with God. Jesus has made that possible by wiping out sin and death. Anybody interested, says Peter. That's my paraphrase. Anybody interested in what we've just witnessed? Because God has made it, declared it so that Jesus is both Lord and Messiah. He's both Lord and Messiah. Now we understand that Jesus left heaven, but he left heaven to become a human being. He left heaven to do what we could not as human beings. He needed to reverse the curse, fix what we'd broken. And this is the cool thing about Jesus. This is why the Bible says that Jesus is both Lord and Messiah. Jesus came from heaven to accomplish God's plan, but here on earth he accomplished a plan that we could not. Jesus got it done from both ends. 
He accomplished the plan of God to save and bless a fallen and a broken world. And he accomplished the plan that God has for each one of us, which is to live a life completely turned in obedience to him and growing in faith towards love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control and doing what God created us to do. Jesus, Jesus did both. He accomplished God's plan and he accomplished a plan that none of us could. That's why the Holy Spirit can be poured out in our lives. He's both Lord and Messiah. Peter says he's sitting at the right hand of God right now. You ever say, yeah, he's my right-hand man. She's my right-hand gal. You ever say that? What's that saying? That person gets stuff done. And it gets it done the way I need it done. God the Father has said to Jesus, you got it done the way I needed it done. Now you are the one that everybody's going to listen to. You're the Lord. You're the boss. You're the Messiah. And that was prophesied in Daniel chapter 7, verse 14. So if you want to see this transfer of lordship from God the Father to this son, it takes place in Daniel 7, 14. It was prophesied about. It was, it's, it's, it's already happened. Jesus is now the one who we turn our attention and our affection to because God the Father has made him both Lord and Messiah because he's the accomplisher. God's done so much in Jesus, and this is what Peter witnesses to. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. I had a great time when I was gone on vacation, but there was one activity that I chose not to do, and that was to get into a paddle boat. You say, why do you signal out the paddle boat? Because the paddle boat is the single dumbest invention in the history of humanity. But I don't know what that makes me, because every couple of years I think to myself, oh, a paddle boat. I'd like to go out in that. And then I end up in the middle of a pond or in the middle of a lake, and I can't feel my legs any longer. And I realized that of, of, of all the mechanisms by which to travel, foot propulsion through water was never meant to happen. It's just dumb. But I keep doing it. Sometimes I find myself next to a five-year-old who's really not helping. And we're in the middle of a pond or the middle of a lake. And I can't get where I need to go. But for some reason, in my silliness, for years, it's like, it's like an every other year thing. I'm like, oh, I'll never do a paddle boat again. I'm like, oh, paddle boat, that looks fun. <laughs> Next thing you know, I'm in the middle of a pond once again. Can't feel anything below my waist. Completely numb. Sweating profusely, realizing that if I don't start paddling, we're all going to just die here of starvation. Paddle boats. The story has given us a picture of human beings in paddle boats. That's what... That, that's what Peter is preaching this day, you're in a paddle boat, except you're in the middle of Lake Erie. You're miles out. And you have been doing things your own way and in your own strength and in your own timing and with your own plan for years and years and years. Keep pumping. Keep pumping. Keep pumping. Keep pumping. And we are never getting to shore. Never. The story of faith, the story of what Jesus did on the cross and through his resurrection to defeat our greatest enemies, to defeat sin and death, to defeat our lost in the middle of Lake Eeriness, to defeat that. That's what the story's all about. Jesus knows we're in a paddle boat and we're getting nowhere fast. And the story that Peter's giving to them right at this moment is Jesus is coming in the speedboat. 
And I don't know what a lot of horsepower is, but he's got a lot of them. And he comes up next to that paddle boat, and he says, come on, let's go. Let's go. You're going to drown, starve, die out here. Hop in. Hop in. And that, that's what happens to this crowd. Brothers, what should we do? They realize their lostness and the futility of their lives right at this moment. I need to hitch my wagon to the one who has defeated death. I need, to, I need to be like the one whom God has made Lord and Messiah. I can't paddle any longer. But, but, but sometimes in our humanity, we look at Jesus and say, but if I climb in with you, what will happen to my paddle boat? Jesus is like, leave it. But my paddle boat. And somebody just said, who cares about your paddle boat? Do you want to get out of here or not? When it says they're cut to the heart, that's what I picture. I picture Jesus coming up in that speedboat going, let's go. And, and, and there's some people that day who went, no, I, I'm going to stick with my paddle boat. I think I got this. I'm only 26 miles from shore. And Jesus is going, don't you know that I love you? Let's get out of here. Let's get out of here. None of us are righteous. None of us are worthy. None of us are going to be able to, to look at God when, when, when we die and go, we are awesome, let me in. But through what Jesus has done on the cross and his resurrection, we can't say he is awesome, I'm with him. Let's go. Let's go. Jesus has defeated our greatest enemies. All we have to do is leave the paddle boat behind and get on board with him. How do we participate? How do we go from witnesses to participants? It'll just take a few minutes, but listen. Peter says, repent. Every one of you. Repent. Now you're like, that's, that's Christian language and it's mean-spirited language. Hold on a minute. This is what repent means. Repent means, in, the, in Hebrew, the original language of the Old Testament, to turn. Turn. And, and in, the, in the language of the New Testament, Greek, it me, it's metanoia, to literally change one's mind. So to repent is to look at that paddle boat and go, whoa. And to look at that speedboat and go, yes, please. I want to get out of here. I want to change. I realize that this has been futile and it's been killing me. And I want to live. I want to choose life. I want to choose God again. I want to move towards love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's not who I am, but that's who I want to be. But, but, but P Peter says something important, and I want you to get this. Peter says, repent every one of you and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. He's make, he makes it possible. He is the Savior. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. He is the owner of the speedboat. You can't get there on your own. It's through him that you become the person that God designed you to be. That's what Jesus has done, and that's what these people are witnessing to. So turn towards God, and then he says, be baptized. Be baptized, every one of you. Why? Because it's a visible sign of surrendering your old life and coming up clean and new into your new one. In fact, Jesus himself was baptized. He went to John the Baptist, and John the Baptist was like, I'm not going to baptize you, Jesus. And Jesus is like, do it. I don't need to be baptized. I don't need a new life. I am life, but I'm going to fulfill everything that's right. Because one day his followers were going to be asked, you be baptized as well. 
you proclaim to the world through your baptism that you've turned towards God through Christ Jesus. Do you know what baptizo means in the archaic Greek? It means sink the ship. Put a hole in the paddle boat before you get into the, into the boat. Renounce that paddle boat through baptism. Renounce that old life. Say, I'm not going to live there anymore. We're going to baptize people on Vision Sunday right here on this stage. It's going to be awesome. Say, how are you going to do that? I'll worry about that. You just show up. They're going to stay in the stage. We'll put down a tarp. We're going to baptize people here because there's something beautiful about doing something in the physical that represents the spiritual. You did it, what, two weeks ago, last week with communion, didn't you? Well, that's easy. They served me with some bread and a cup. This is harder because you're declaring to the world, I've turned towards Jesus. You're declaring that your paddle boat is sunk because you have new life through him. And then here's the cool thing. Peter says, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the new director. Receive the one who will get you to the place that you need to go with God. Because you're not an accident. You're not a nobody. You're not a nothing. You're not just a guy or just a gal. You're not just a... Jesus made it possible for God to pour out his spirit into your life to direct you for the work that he put you on this earth to do. He loves you enough to pour out his spirit so that you might receive that spirit for what he's given you to do. God has a work for you. He's not just going to put you in the speedboat. He's going to take you to shore and say, go and do likewise. There's other people that need saving other people who need to sh be shown love, other people who don't know that it's futile without me. Go witness to me. Go tell people that I'm running after them. Go tell people about my goodness. Go tell people that they need me. Because what I did by my cross and resurrection was the most important thing that has ever been done on behalf of human beings. Most important thing, not the wheel, not fire, not the television. Most important thing is what Jesus did for you and I because he defeated our greatest enemy and allowed us to live for God, which we were designed for, created for in the first place. What a gift. What a gift. What a gift. Let's pray. quiet this morning for just a moment because there's moments where God can speak and no words are needed. And I just ask you for just a moment, say, God, what are you saying to me today? I've heard a lot. What are you saying to me? What are you saying to me?
here in this place today and you say, Pastor Matt, I don't understand all of the deep theology of Christianity. I don't understand everything even that you said. And I don't know quite where I'm at with God. But something's taking place. Something's going on in my heart right now inside of me today. And if God's chasing me, I'd like to slow down. God's after me, I'd, I'd like to turn, to repent, to turn towards him. Be forgiven of everything I've ever done wrong and to start fresh through Jesus Christ. Just like the people that day who said, if he's defeated death, then I want to be with him. If that's you today, I said just a moment ago, it's important to do something in the physical to match what's going on in the spiritual. Would you just lift a hand to heaven today and say, God, that's me. God, that's me. I want to turn toward you today. I recognize you've done something, and I want to respond to it. Take that moment, just right now, do something in the physical to match the spiritual. God, I'm turning towards you. God, I'm turning towards you. You can put it up and put it right back down. God, I'm turning towards you. That's me today. People in this place right now turning towards God. It's not some special prayer or some magic formula. It's just an open heart to who God is. The second call today for folks in here today you're just going to be real honest with the Lord and say, God, I, I've been attending church. I've been going to church. I got in that speedboat long ago, but I am not really participating and telling anybody right now, and I need to, and I want to because I've been saved, and I just need that power from the Holy Spirit to come on me today because I'm done playing. I'm ready to participate. If that's you today, just lift a hand towards heaven. Go, that's me. That's me humility to say, God, that's me today. Lots of folks today. Humility towards God. God, I want to tell what you've done in my life. I want to be open and honest and real about the one who saved me. I'm going to pray for everyone here today. Lord, for those who raised their hand first today, I pray that they would pray a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, save me. Lord Jesus, make me new. Lord Jesus, give me new life. Lord Jesus, give me the opportunity to turn towards God. Lord Jesus, I pray that I will serve God the rest of my days. Put it in your own words right now. With whatever words you have, they're good enough. He loves you. He knows you. I pray for those here today who are in this place that they want to be full participants in what you've done. They've witnessed your goodness, all of their lives you've been faithful, all of their lives you've been good. They want to tell people about your goodness, Lord Jesus, your greatness, your love, and your mercy, and your grace. Lord, I pray you'd come upon them, even in this moment, and that your spirit emboldened them to tell their story, and your story, and where they met. Holy Spirit, do a sovereign work that only you can do. We pray these things in Jesus' name.